righty, welcome to our 100th episode of Musical Osmosis, where intelligent, dissonant thought meets a melodic, euphonious reality. I am your musically magnanimous host, Nick the Saucy One Cat Source, broadcasting as I have been all these years from Meth Mountain, Tennessee. <laughs> and I also want to introduce my procussively proficient co-host, calling in all the way from Charm City, Maryland, my pal Odell. Odell, what is to the up? big one oh oh. Yes, yes, one hundred. At least we're not one hundred years old. It's just the one hundredth episode. <laughs> well, you've lived to the one hundredth episode. Do you think you will live to be a centurion? I don't know. I'm, I, I need to get. We need to have Betty White on the uh, on the show. See what her secret oh God, is. Yes. Her and James Earl Jones. <laughs> she just turned ninety-eight. Actually, I just posted an article. Um, they asked her what her secret was, and she said to keep working. That's it. If Stay you, if, it's funny you say working. that. That's it. If you look at all the people, you know, how, uh, Willard Scott and all of them used to do the one hundred uh, birthdays on the Today Show, and most of them say the same thing: just stay active and keep working and can't stop living walking man walking when you go stagnant that's when you die but all those people and they'll be like i have a diet of sausages and smoking cigars or some people will be super healthy in blue zones or some people will just have um a crazy life where they're still performing or, or some people will quilt whatever it is but one thing when i always read those stories they have in common is they stay active they walk every day they stay active and they stay engaged with family that's it that is it, so, man. Let me get D in here because D has made us sound like magic 100 Ta-da. times. Yes. Yes. Thank dun, you. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yes. All the yes. And uh, another yeah. thing this episode marks is I think I have 28 episodes left before I hit my 500th podcast. Yes. Oh, wow. Look at you. It's going to be amazing. 500. We're gonna do something, yeah, it is. We are going to do something big for, for episode 500. I'm just saying. So D has actually made at least me sound pretty well over 450 times. Yeah. There you go. Are you ready to throttle the Yeti? Uh, let me get back to you on that. <laughs> I'm a diva, man, when it comes to this stuff. I am fucking Demi Moore with her jar of 100 M&Ms with all the green Jesus ones Christ. pulled out. Yeah. <laughs> I will not perform without a hairstylist. You're, yeah. an Ax- you're the Axl Rose of podcasting. Yeah, let's let's not go that far. <laughs> I'm not gonna have you start wearing a KFC bucket on your head, like whatever the oh, fuck roses ended up doing in their later years. Uh, you know, I saw them on the Grammys. This was a while back, like maybe seven or eight years ago. I was um, flipping through the channels, and I saw this big fat guy with a bandana around his head, like trying to do the Paradise City dance. But the Paradise City, they had kind of limp biscuit it out. They made it a lot hard, more oh hardcore. God. And then there was a guy with a right. KFC bucket on his head. And I w- oh, yeah, bucket I mean, head. Right. I was just flipping yeah. through channels. So I didn't know what it was on. I wasn't looking at like the info thing. And I seriously thought it was a Saturday Night Live, live skit. And when I started watching <laughs> it and looking at it, I was like, wait, this is actually Guns N' Roses? What the fuck happened? Yeah. I was bubbling. Like, I seriously thought it was satire. I hadn't seen them since, you know, the 80s, early 90s maybe. <laughs> And then I saw them, like, maybe this was, like, 2012, 2013, 
And I was like, what the fuck? And Axl Rose weighed like 300 pounds and guy jumped around a bucket. He's like, take me down, take me down, Paradise City. And I was like, what, oh, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's what happens. That's what happens when you want all the rights to everything and, and the, you, you realize that the rest of the band is actually the, you know, the talented one. <laughs> speaking of talent we've got a couple things we want to hit before we get our amazing guest in i'm so happy to have this person on our 100th episode um i wanted to bring this up when i was young you know in the bands playing with different bands and especially my drummer friends they would always bring up this story this urban legend and i googled it recently to see if it was true i couldn't find anything on it but it was said that this man was such a great drummer He could stick a quarter on the side of a wall, draw a circle around with a a Sharpie, and then start drumming on it. You know, like drum roll on that quarter, and it would not move out of that fucking circle. He was so proficient. And that man was Gil Pert. I don't know if that's true. I've heard that story several times throughout my life. Um, One, do you think it's true? And two, what a loss for the rock community. Yes. Yes. On both fronts. <laughs> that dude was uh, what he did on the drum. It was one of those things that as a drummer, um, you know, as a drummer, you always take from the people that you're influenced by. So, um, and then you try to make it your own. So if you ever watch just drummers, they, every drummer has a different style, pretty much. They may lock in and do the same thing after a while, but you could tell this person does this a little differently or this person has taken from this. I don't think there's ever been, I, I have not, you know, I haven't heard of a drummer that said any b- bad things about Rush or Neil Perry. You may not like their music, but when you talk about him as a drummer, he he was so phenomenal. And so have you ever met anyone and, who doesn't like their music? I've met a couple people that are like, well, that's really? a little out there for me. Yeah, yeah. But for the most part, it wasn't like, oh, Rush, geez, are you kidding me? It was more like, yeah, they're cool. They're cool. I, for me, it was one of those things that um, you learn to appreciate it more as you get older. I think for me personally, I liked them when I was young. I liked a few of their things, but I wasn't like really big into it. I love their I love Neil. But um, but as I've gotten older and you go back and you listen to everything, and you're just like, oh, my gosh, you know, not only is he a phenomenal drummer, but, you know, he wrote the lyrics. He was he was. I don't think a lot of people realize that he was the one that wrote the lyrics for those songs. And, and, and then you just tie that all together. And what he did on a kit was phenomenal. There's so many different stories about him. So you have that one, you have the stories that he never, um, I used to hear all the time that he never shook anybody's hands. He sort of just like bowed like his head to you when you approached him, which I, I never, I don't know was if that's that to true or not. His hands? Because yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I, and I don't know how true that is, but I used to hear that all the time, too, growing up. That Yeah, Neil Perry, he doesn't shake people's hands, man. He just sort of just nods their head at you in, in admiration or whatever. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, you know, going back to what you said about it, having a greater appreciation for it now. So it works both ways, right? Like, D got me a couple mm-hmm. seasons of Northern Exposure. You remember that show about Alaska? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I've been watching it, going to bed every night. I'll, I'll put it on TV as we're in bed. And I'm like, fuck, this was such a good TV show. Yeah. I didn't really pay attention to when I was younger. But this show is so damn good. And then I bought, um, out of the $5 bet, I bought Chevy Chase Modern Problems, where he get, like, gets hit by a toxic um, waste truck and he gets superpowers. 
Mel Carter. Was oh, in, yeah. Yeah. And, and I was so excited. I was like, this was such a great movie when I was little. And I put it in, and I was like, what a fucking piece of shit. <laughs> what? This movie is a piece of crap. Oh, yeah. Yeah, things can change. It's like horror films. Some horror films last, they can stand the test of time. And then other ones, you're like, oh, yeah. You know, Silent Night, Deadly Night, or, or, or you know, the, the Valentine's Day one. And you're like, oh, I remember watching this when I was in middle school and high school and being like, oh, this is great. We've actually watched it. Helen Udy on our show for My Bloody Valentine. Yeah. And you watch them now and you're sort of like, wow. You know, okay. Uh-huh. You know, you know, it's just, I don't, I don't know what it is, man. I guess it's just other, other horror, you know, if you watch like Pet Cemetery or Silence of the Lambs, they just stand the test of time, period. They're just like, you can watch them anytime. It doesn't matter how old, they still freak you out. You know what's going to happen, but it's still, when, you know, when the little, when the little kid comes in there, with a scalpel, you're like, oh, crap, here we go again. But then other ones, you're like, oh, man, what is, what is this crap? <laughs> well, 100 episodes in, I hope our podcast stands the test of time. I do, too. I, I think it will. I, think I hope and, 100 and, and, years from now, kids are playing this, and they pull pictures of us off the Internet, and our holograms pop up, and we're sitting <laughs> at a desk talking to each other. That's it. That's it. I think it will happen. I, I and it all and like we were saying before, it's all about the guests too, man. You know, they they make this bad boy happen. Um, we've had some really insightful guests on here, and um, I think that's that's a big reason why it definitely will stand the test of time because uh, they're amazing, absolutely amazing. And um, and when you get to talk to them on a personal level, it makes you you know really it makes you real feel good that they're willing to open up and tell you their stories and their ups and downs and what worked and what didn't work and what they're doing now and stuff. So it's been a wild ride, my friend. I'm so glad you've been on this journey with me. So one more thing I want to talk about before we get tonight's guest in here. And I know we talk about this every year and every year I say the exact same thing. Um, They released a list. I think it was today of the inductees for the rock and roll hall of fame. And every year, what do I say, Odell? How in the hell are these people just now getting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Yeah, yeah. Every year, and it's the same thing. You think they're in, but nope. And then when you hear the names that are still, like, out, it's like, wow. So, And here's the list. Let me give you the list real quick to everybody. It's the Pesh Mode, the Doobie Brothers, Whitney Houston, Nine Inch Nails, the Notorious B.I.G., and T-Rex. And I'm looking over this, and I'm like, how in the hell is the Doobie Brothers not in there or Whitney Houston? Like, what does it take? I was talking to someone today, and I was like, there should be two rules. I don't know what their criteria is, but there should be two Mm -hmm. rules for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. One, they should still be alive or, you know, alive at the time or at least considering them. And two, they should have recent work so they're still relevant. I mean, the Doobie Brothers, do they even still make music? Yeah, well, actually, I think they, you know, they found out earlier that they were poss- were most likely going to be inductees. So they're actually touring um, uh, uh, this summer, and actually, Michael McDonald is actually touring with them. So that's even huge. That's even bigger news because uh, usually every now and then when they go out, it's just the Doobie Brothers, but Michael McDonald's not with them. But actually, on this tour, I think this summer, he's going to be um, touring with them. Uh, so um, I know that's major news. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's funny because 
there's been a couple artists that got in and they literally had just passed before they were inducted. So I was like, man, that gone. What all of a sudden now? When I think rock and roll hall of fame, I think people are like out there conquering the world. This Mm -hmm. reads more like a lifetime achievement award to me. I think when you hear that on the Grammys or not the Grammys, the um, Oscars, and they pick mm-hmm. like Fred Astaire or somebody or somebody who's like super at the time super old like George Burns back in the 80s and they'll bring him up at 100 and give him a lifetime achievement award. This doesn't read what I think of when I think of Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It just seems like it's too far away from when they were in their heyday. And I'm not saying you have to like put Billie Eilish in there or something right now. I'm just saying it should right. be like Tool should be in there right now. They should be considering bands like Tool. Well, I know they do um, because you've had the last handful of years, but I think one of the criteria is like you have to, it's like 25 years outside of your first release is one of the criteria. So we're now getting, you know, bands that influenced us or we listen to or starting to, you're starting to see those bands. That's why you see like Nine Inch Nails make it this year or the Chili Peppers made it a couple of years ago or Nirvana made it a few years ago. Um, uh, I think Green Day maybe I don't I'm not even sure if they made it or not. But um but I think that's one of the criteria. Um and then uh but it still astounds me that you just have some of these artists that you would think would have just walked in <laughs> just getting in. You're like, Oh, they're not in? Wow, I thought they were in. Uh okay, well congrats. Maybe to that's them. part of the charm <laughs> that every year you go, What? They weren't in yet? But then again, it, this is only thirty five years it's been around. And something yeah. like this seems like it's been around a hundred years, right? It's like, wow, it's only been around it thir- like it's been around less time than I have. Right, right, and it does sort of feel like a lifetime achievement award. But I, the the cool thing for me is when you, not necessarily what the artists have done that the public has seen. I like the fact when people come up and talk about, yeah, this particular artist or this band. Um, actually did this for us or actually did this for me or this artist helped me get this way and you have no clue that that happened until that particular person who's talking about him or was influenced by him brings that up. I think that's really cool because a lot of times we, we, you know, being a rock and roll, quote unquote, rock and roll star, you have this fascination that everything is out there in the public. But when you actually hear the things that these people, some of these folks did behind the scenes or what they've accomplished out with music, but just in other realms that you never really even heard about. I think that's one of the cool things about it, too. I think you make an excellent point, too. I, that's something I also dig about it. All right, let's get tonight's guest in here. Before we do, a couple editorial notes. One, this will be our last show together, me and you, until March. Right, Odell? Because you're moving. Yeah. And me yeah. and Dee, we are heading to New York, along with our friend Abel. New York um, to perform at New York Winterfest and Katie McKell's off-Broadway musical, The Circle of Eyes. Dee, how excited are you? Um, I've ordered new clothes. <laughs> I have to go get some hair dye. Um, I've been dieting. I'm, Dude, I'm so psyched. I can't even stand it. This is going to be so much fun. Nine days in New York, man, and I'm not a fan of New York. I'm not a big New York person, but I'm going to enjoy being out there, and um, we'll probably record a couple live interviews out there, and we'll post them when we get back, probably like I'm shooting for the 1st of March to start reposting everything after this over on the site, but we're going to be taking a nice little six-week break, right, Odell? Uh, Yeah, yeah, it'll be a nice break, Uh, but I mean, moving isn't really a break. (laughs) 
So you guys yeah. enjoy. I'll live. I'll live vicariously through you as I'm hauling boxes to another house, especially with a full but, um, house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, we're only moving a couple miles away. So, um, just to what would John Stamos do? That's right. <laughs> yeah, this just house is a little full. That. So. <laughs> but hey, I'm glad that tonight's guest is on and we're doing the hundredth episode because no better way to go into a break than just like fully yeah. psyched like we are now. I've got my fucking fidget spinner when I start getting hyper and rambling and start my idiot fanboy shit. And I've got my little uh, Misfits Fiend doll here, my good luck charm, my little action figure. So I think I'm ready to go. There you go. All right, D, are we good? You got any other announcements to make? Let's go, man. Let's get this. Oh, Come on. Let's do it. <laughs> Tonight's guest for our special 100th episode is an artist and a musician who has inspired thousands of fans over the past 40 years with his honesty, integrity, and positive energy. A performer who has somehow been political without hardly ever uttering political lyrics like directly. He's given voice to a movement without being preachy, and he's written short, fast punk songs that, in retrospect, now come across as anthems for a bygone era somebody who has had a huge insane impact on me as an artist from his solo work to his side projects and of course to seven seconds one of the most influential hardcore bands of my youth the 80s 90s and beyond the always compelling and irreplaceable kevin seconds is here for episode 100 kevin are you with us (laughs) i hope so i sure do (laughs) <laughs> right on hey man i want to thank you so much for calling into this milestone episode and for putting up for my gushing idiot fanboy musings i'll try to stay somewhat composed during the rest of our conversation tonight that's yeah I'm, well i'm i'm happy to be here and uh thank you and and i gotta say i'm you got you all the nice things you said i'm i'm sitting here sort of impressed with myself which i didn't expect it so well, I mean, it should be, and we've got so much to talk about tonight, and your, yes. your legacy, and the impact on music, but I want to jump in with this, because this is something that just really floored me when it happened. Back on March 20th in 2018, you wrote a Facebook uh-huh. post that you had always said you would never have to write. Seven Seconds yeah. was officially calling it quits, so I kind of wanted to know how hard it was for you to actually write that post. And how taken back you were. I'm sitting here looking at the post. I pulled it up. Um, just the fan response. 13,000 interactions, um, likes and so forth. 3,000 comments, 5,000 shares. Mostly all positive, heartfelt, very supportive. Mm-hmm. That is one hell of a response, right? Yeah, man. It, it was it was completely mind-blowing. And, and, and honestly, I... Uh, I, I after I posted it, I think I posted it late at night and then I went to sleep and then I woke up and I was so ill prepared to, uh, to read anything or, or, or get the message. You know, there was also just a, a crazy amount of private messages and text messages in the morning. And, uh, it was so overwhelming. I just, I couldn't, I had to shut everything off. And, and for me, that was a, you know, for us, that's a big deal. Cause we're not, you know, we're not like a massive band or anything. So to, to see the risk, to see that kind of a response was just pretty, you know, mind blowing for all, all, all of us. And, and I just, uh, yeah, I told my wife, I said, I think I screwed up. <laughs> I, think I, 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 mean, I, I, you know, I was, my thing was, is I was just hoping to kind of clear the, the air. We had had a, a European tour book. We were supposed to play punk rock bowling. 
Um, and we were getting, we were starting to get some really cool tour offers and stuff. And it was just a, there was just such a, 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 a crazy period where nobody, nobody in the band was really talking much because everybody was dealing with their own personal things going on. And I was trying to give everybody space, but at the same time I'm being, you know, hit up by the booking people and the record label people. And, and I, I, oh, just was like, I can't do this. Man. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, I mean, you know, I don't mean to, I'm not sniveling about it, but it's just, it, at some point I just felt like I, I just, for my own sanity, I have to put this thing to bed. I mean, if you know, we had been talking about it a little bit leading up to that. And, and I just felt like the only way that we're going to, there's going to be a little quiet is just to just come out and, <laughs> you know, just sort of, you know, say, Hey, it's over, you know, like we're, you know, we've quietly been talking about it and everybody more or less had, had decided that that was where we were sort of heading. And, um, yeah, it was, the whole thing was nuts. And, and I, I don't know that I did it, did the right thing, but I just, I felt like the best way to do this is just to be as honest as possible and, and try to let everybody know, you know, without too much bullshit, you know? And, uh, yeah. So it, yeah, it was a crazy, crazy couple of weeks there afterwards well let me give you yeah. an outside perspective and then i'll throw this over to odell because i remember mm-hmm. when that came up on my feed because i've always followed seven seconds since i've been on facebook mm-hmm. and i was floored we shared it on our musical osmosis facebook page but the time mm-hmm. and energy that it took especially you're saying you wrote it at night after you know a hard day of being alive exhausting <laughs> it's just to fucking write that and be so open and tell the fans exactly what was going on when he could have easily just been said, Hey man, I'm sorry. We're calling it quits and, or said nothing at all. I mean, it just goes back to yeah. the integrity. That was a real integrity move. And I think it meant a lot to the fans. I, I you know, I, um, it seems like it. And, and we have, you know, the, the response, you know, sort of voiced that and, and, and whatnot. But to me, I just always felt like we were, we were always, you know, I mean, I always, at least on my, speaking for myself, I always try to stay in touch with uh, the people that, you know, the fans and, and the people that supported us. I mean, we, we were, we've always been just super open and accessible and, you know, uh, you know, I mean, so many of the people that would identify as being Seven Seconds fans in some way or another have become actual friends. You know, we, we have relationships and we talk to each other and when I travel and doing my own solo thing and, you know, go out to dinner with a lot of people and, and or have coffee. And it, it's, it's always been a kind of a personalized thing with us. And I just felt like, um, you know, the, I, the other guys, I mean, a guitar player, Bobby was out, you know, he's a trucker now, so he's out on the road, Steve, uh, and Troy, who really were the, the catalyst. I mean, just, but they both were going to health wise and you know, on a personal level was really uh-huh. the reason that it just, you know, it, there's, there was just no getting around it, which, we, none of us had really ever faced before. We always kind of just figured, well, if we had problems, we'll work it out and it'll, or just stupidly, you know, go out on tour and, and just try to put it aside until <laughs> we have to deal with it when we get home, you know? And this was just like, it was just not happening. It was just, it, you know, um, you know, I, my brother, Steve, the bass player, you know, of course, dealing with his own personal uh, issues with alcohol and he's been very open about it. So he's not, I'm not talking at it, you know, in terms of anything, but when Troy right. had called me and, and, and basically said, Hey, I, you know, I just can't do it. You know, I'm physically, I'm dealing with a lot of nerve damage and a lot of, you know, just, immo- you know, immobility issues that, he, you know, he hadn't dealt with ever in his, in his life. So when he, he called me, that was just the, 
the biggest thing. I just thought, wow, Troy's always been the healthy guy in the band, you know. <laughs> he was he was always the guy that, you know, we sort of looked at as being like, Yeah, we gotta you know, we gotta start working out more. We gotta start Mr. Atlas. More. That's what happened. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so but yeah, So is that, yeah. are you guys still tight? Really or do you do you stay in, in communication with the guys? I know you were talking about your brother and everything, but uh with the other fellas that were um that you played with? Yeah, we check in. We check in with my brother and I talk. You know, as often as we can. You know, at least Good. once a week. Troy, Troy, and I. Troy's a recluse, so he he kind of just he likes being home, and you know, he's got his wife and 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 their kids, and they. You know, he doesn't really. He's not. He's not a. Big, none of the other guys in the band are, are at all into social media stuff. I mean, I just 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 getting. You know, if I mention something, you know. Uh, something on YouTube, they they really are just like you, I can tell that they they're just either they have no clue what I'm talking about or they just don't care, you know. <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> I, you know, like it's it's you know sometimes I'll you know because I'm kind of all over it and I'm always posting bullshit and I just assume they'll see it and so I'll say oh you know I it just I was talking about that thing that I posted and they're like nah I, I haven't checked Facebook in in months you know I was like oh yeah that's right <laughs> yeah but yeah there uh, we stay in touch Bobby. Uh, the guitar player is just a, he moved, he bought some property up in Oregon and he and his family moved up there. So everybody's, uh, Stephen Troy is still living in Reno. I'm down in Sacramento and, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we'll always be friends and we'll always be tight. It's, it's just, you know, we're now middle-aged, uh, you know, middle-aged punk rock gentlemen, you know, everybody's got, everybody's got stuff going on, whether it's just, you know, working or health or business or yeah. relationship stuff. And it's, you know, real life stuff. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it, it's always been there, but, uh, as you get older, you, you know, you start to, you start to kind of pay more attention to it. And, you know, especially when you start losing, I mean, this last two, three years, you know, we've just lost so many friends that were friends, you know, exactly. other bands and, and that stuff. And so it really does kind of, I was worn back when I was like, 30 i was warned by an older friend of mine that was 50 and i remember him saying you know when you get to be my age you know every week you're gonna you're gonna lose somebody that you're close to and i always thought yeah you know that's just bullshit but uh it's kind of true was, you know every year yeah. every, every week there's something you know that comes out so yeah and it's crazy it's too to, because as a fan of many things as i am and i'll see stuff I'll, I'll see stuff like people will pass from old shows that I grew up with, and I'll be like, oh, well, that sucks. I remember that guy from that TV show. And then it starts coming yeah. closer to my orbit, like when the Rodney Dangerfields start passing away and people that yeah, really cracked yeah. me up as a kid or bands that I listened to, like members. Like mm-hmm. um, recently, the bass player, the Digits, just passed away and stuff like that. Oh, wow. And then you realize yeah. – I'm next up. Like the the there's not that much of a line ahead of me generationally. Uh-huh. Like soon it's going to be people right. my own age passing away. I'm 48, Odell. Yeah. You're what 46, Odell? Yep. Yeah. So it's yep. like okay. So soon it's going to be like you said. You'll get into your 50s, and then it'll be like people you personally know and people from your mm-hmm. generation. Yeah. And it's just a weird yeah. perspective. I I realized when I turned 45, I was like, man, dude, like. If you're 20, if you live to be 80 and you're 20 and somebody goes, you're going to die in 60 years, you don't know what 60 years is because you only had 20 years of life. That's right. But if you're 45, (laughs) all I have to do is everything I remember again and I'm fucking dead. I just have to do all the shit I've already done, do it all over again, and that's the end of life for me. 
So it's right. like now I know yeah. what it is because I have that frame of reference. All right, let me get off the yeah. death kick. It's a downer. <laughs> I want to talk about the Seven Seconds Legacy because yeah. this is what I was thinking about today. Seven Seconds being such a big part and in some ways like a defining part of your personality or of who you are of your life. Do you have any regrets about how it ended? Especially it was so close to that milestone of 40 years. You didn't hit that 40-year yeah. mark. Is that something that sticks in your crawl? Or do you not think about, you know, qualify things like 40 years? No, I didn't think I would think about that. But, for, but, but yeah, I, the 40-year thing really bums me out because, well, the other thing, first and foremost, like, we had, we had, we'd been touring and playing, you know, not as, as, like, the way we used to, but we were, you know, we, we were still doing shows and we're still active. And, you know, I don't ever watch videos, you know, when – you know, right when someone will send me a link to a video on YouTube and I'll always just, you know, thank them and then ignore it. But, you know, I, I, I went back and watched our, the, the last videos of, that are online of our last two shows. And, you know, I was like, wow, we, you know, we're doing pretty good for a bunch of old guys. We're not that stiff looking. We're not, you know, screwing up too, but, you know, too much. And, and we were having, we were still having a blast. So I think had we just all kind of either hated each other or we just weren't having fun on stage or we just, we weren't drawing anymore, you know, I think mm-hmm. it would have been easier. And, and I think I always said, look, when we, let's, let's just, let's just pay attention. And when we know, let's talk about it. And, and let's not think we have to do it because we're just desperate. We've, we've had, we've sat and watched bands, you know, reunite and break up again and reunite again. And, and, you know, it's just a, it, you know, a, it's a cash thing and I get it, you know, like a lot of bands now are making more money than they ever did, especially from our era, you know, we, We'd go right. to play a festival, and you know, they'd say, "Yeah." And we'd hear the offering. We'd be like, "Are you kidding me? Like, you know, this is insane!" Like, you know, we can't say no to that. You know? But I mean, like, you don't want to get to the point where you just you're just doing stuff because you're uh, just doing you're it to do it. Money and yeah, it's just it's just terrible. And 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 I don't. I'm just not built that way. You know, it's, I've we we've always worked. We've always had come home to jobs. You know, and. And we we stayed relatively working class, you know, and so it's just the whole thing was is like at some point when we were much younger, we were doing so much that you know we didn't have to think about jobs. But then it was like, well, you know, a couple guys started having kids, or you know, their wives started having kids, and it was like we slowed things down. And I was I was against it because I'm like, no, man, we're you know we're finally hitting our stride, and you know, I, you know, but I understood it, and and I I just. You know, the thing is, you just have to try and, and do it for whatever the right reasons are that's in your heart and head, you know, and that's that's kind of what we mm-hmm. maintain. But, yeah, the four-year thing kind of it just kind of started to really get to me. And, um, you know, I talked to everybody, and they said, well, I know we're not going to – we're still getting offers. I mean, just last week, uh, we got somebody in Europe asked us if we wanted to do a tour with another band, and I just said – you know, maybe you didn't get the memo, but we're, we're broken up. Like, no, 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 I know. I figured you guys would just be bored by That's now. That's got to sting, you though, know, when you get those offers, right? <laughs> like, damn, I wish I could What's do that? this. I said, that has got to sting, oh, though, when I'll, you get those yeah, offers. Yeah, yeah I was going well, to yeah, I hate it. I hate it because I'm still ready to go, you know. And, and I'm, like, the oldest and the probably the least out of, you know, least in shape member of the band. But, I'm, you know, I'd do it in a heartbeat. I, and I said, even after we, I made the announcement, you know, I said, look, just know – that if tomorrow Troy and or Steve says, hey, you know, I feel, I'm feeling great, let's do it, we'll do it. You know, I, I, it's not like we want to do this, but I just, I felt like, you know, um, I, it was a selfish thing for me partially because, like I said, I'm, I'm still in touch with everybody and I still get the calls and still get the emails and I, 
and we were just, uh, you know, we had gotten an offer to do some dates with some great bands over in Australia, which we, we, it was the, one of the countries and we never got to go and play at all in all the years we were a band. And, uh, you know, there was just this tug. At, you know, I, I, I was like, do, is this, do I just suck it up and find, you know, a couple of young dudes or girls or whatever who want to play this music with me and, and just do the, go that route or do I, you know, and I knew that I didn't want to do that. I knew that I didn't want to play in this band with, without any of those guys. So it was just, it was, it was kind of pulled at me and I, you know, I kind of going back and forth with, you know, did I screw up <laughs> making the announcement? <laughs> I'm glad I did. What? I, I'm glad I did just be, just because it, it really did kind of help. Um, I, I, it just helped close a few things that needed to be closed. And, and, and that's really, I just needed to shut up. I just needed to shut off the noise in my own head because I was trying to deal with some of my own issues, personal stuff, and I just couldn't do it with the idea that, you know, well, shoot, maybe that, you know, we're getting this offer now. Maybe we should think about doing that, you know. And like I said, when when I got the call from Troy, our drummer, that was really, that kind of just was it. I, I was like, well, we've never had that before. You know, Steve's dealt with his demons for a while, and we've been kind of mm-hmm. dealing with them along with him. But the Troy thing was really, like, just out of out of the blue. And that, that was, it was too much, you know, it was very emotional and very real. <laughs> and you and know, I so think, that and was, I, re- that was it. yeah. And I think you were saying that you could probably go on and find some people to do it, or, you know, maybe you guys could get together and do some tours or do some shows. But the reality is, is that <clears throat> with your band and the emotional ties that fans, I know, and I, I think I speak for Nick, people will see through it. You know, people will be like, okay, yeah. this isn't what it was. This wasn't what it was about. And that would just defeat the whole meaning of what you guys did, you know, prior to now your history and your legacy. Yeah. And I think that would, that would be a black eye that you probably wouldn't want to have either. Well, and, 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 you know, I agree, I agree with that. Like uh, from our standpoint, I definitely agree with it. But, but then there's also the thing where people, you know, fans are different. Fans are weird. I mean, I, I've always had this love <laughs> relationship with, with fans anyway. It's like how I feel about record collectors. It's just fans will forgive and forget. And you can, you know, reunite it to be one original person, maybe even not an original person. And they'll go out mm-hmm. and people will go see them and they'll go get invited to play festivals and they'll go make a ton of money. And so, so if you're looking at that, I mean, yeah, the, the true, the, the people that were stuck with us throughout the entire 38 years, you know, it, it would, it would smell funny to them for sure, you know, and it would feel yeah, funny. Yeah. But you know, you, in this day and age, everybody's, you know, I mean, there are bands that are, that are, I'll read about a band that's reuniting. I remember being the band that opened for everybody and they never really caught fire. They never really did. But they can go over to Europe and or South America and they'll play in front of, you know, hundreds and hundreds oh, of people. Oh, yeah. Really oh, yeah. Because, you know, yeah. that, that 80s, that early 80s hardcore thing is sort of, you know, people are like, yeah, that was really, a, that was a golden era of hardcore and da da da. And you know, it, it's 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 good. It's good. I'm I don't I don't disrespect anybody. If, if, if do do it do you do it for whatever reasons you want to. You know, as long as you're not hurting anybody. But uh, yeah, I just for, from our standpoint, I just felt like at least you know we 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 can go out and and feel like we did we did everything we wanted to do. We went beyond that actually. We did more than mm-hmm. we ever imagined doing. And for the most part, we 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 just we did keep things simple and keep it as honest and, and real as, you know, when we screwed up, you know, we screwed up in front of everybody and there was a lot of forgiveness and a lot of support. And, and, you know, it just never, that never stopped. That was always there. So I, I just, I feel like it would, you know, I don't think that much about the whole legacy thing. People, people are like, you know, 
Well, you went out on you know you went out on a good note and you protected your knit legacy. And I'm like, hey, I don't care about it. I don't think about that kind of stuff. You know, I really don't. But I, as I don't, a fan, don't. let me tell you, you a quick story. Because this is the kind of impact you have. I'm the archivist of our group. I've got all the VHS of right. all our shows and parties, and I've got sure. literally thousands of pictures. I mean, Odell, yeah, tell you, yeah. I'm crazy. Yep. On, and I have these different picture pages and stuff. Back in the old yep. days, before internet, social media was real big, I used to make these DVDs. I had like a media <laughs> program, and I could put music uh-huh. to pictures, and it would be a slideshow. Uh-huh. So at the end of the year, I'd take all my best pictures from the year, and I would pick out a song that I thought kind of encapsulated the year, a song that was a theme of my year. And I just remembered, you know, a handful of bands made that soundtrack, you know, one band a year I did. And and I think it was 2005, I did Your Parents Hardcore to describe that year. And this is what I'm saying. You don't know me. You just met me a couple weeks ago online. You don't know me from Adam. And here I am talking to you, and you had such an impact on me. I said, this is what 2005 was to me. It was fucking Kevin Seconds, your parents' hardcore. So that's weird. <laughs> it's got to be weird on your end to process something like that. That, And I always say, if one person has that story, a thousand people have that story. Oh, so I'm yeah. sure people have similar stories to me about seven seconds. And it, it's just, mm-hmm. as somebody who's been in smaller bands, have done little things here and there, it's got to be weird yeah. for to me, it's, it seems like it would be weird for you to process when people tell you stuff like that. No, it, it, it was when we were, when I was younger, it did. And it kind of got, it kind of messed me up a little bit because, you know, you get these kids would write these, these five page letters saying how, how our lyrics changed their lives, which when you're in your twenties or even thirties and, and somebody tells you that there's only a couple of ways you can process it. And, you know, and, and I, I didn't really know. Luckily, I had people around me always willing to kick me in the ass and say, you know, I mean, you're you're okay, but you're not all that. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, <laughs> I, and, I, and I'm really happy that I did because, yes. you know, I've seen insufferable assholes, you know, who once were great human beings, you know, just because of a little bit of, you know, you know, they, they got some support and fan base or whatever, but Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not weird to me. I mean, now it's just, it's just, it's one, it's lovely. I, I, I love it all. And, and, and I try and get back to, to anybody who, who reaches out and, and, and shares a story or, or, you know, mentions something like you mentioned, it always means so much to me. And, it's, and, you know, I, I don't know. I, 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 it's when you've done it for, so when you've been in a band, even for, you know, as long as we were, you just, um, like you have to, you know, I mean, you've seen this whole scene and the whole, I mean, the music industry, the whole, like everything has changed. Everything is completely oh, different yeah. from when we first started out, you know that. Yes. And so, you know, if you don't kind of accept that and, and, and go with it, um, and I'd say about half of the guys in our band have done that. And the other half have just been like, no, I don't like it. I'm, I don't want to be part of it, which is fine. You know, they're, they're, but for me, I always was like, yeah, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how this internet thing changes or, 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 or how it affects us, you know, and it'll be interesting to see. I never would I have ever thought that, you know, all of the record labels that I, you know, that were putting out records that I grew up, you know, listening to would be dead or, or just eaten up by, you know, three or four, you know, big mega corporations. But also all that stuff is just like, you know, it's changed the way that everything is now. And, and, you know, like even, even right down, like you were saying, like we were, you know, we're trying to, you know, I always, I'm the kind of the archivist in the band. I'm always trying to find old photos and video footage and stuff that set, set lists that people collect or whatever. And, 
there, there, there weren't that many, obviously there weren't that many videos from our, the period between, you know, in the eighties, because not every kid had a, a, you know, first of all, nobody had a phone that you could get footage from, but, um, you know, even kids with a video camera, that was like a big deal. I remember I got a video camera and my friends thought I was, you know, I, <laughs> I was rich, you know. <laughs> so like, it's like, so yeah, it was like a lot of that stuff just wasn't. I used to have to beg my dad to co-sign for me at the rent center to rent a video <laughs> camera every time we had a show. <laughs> oh, That's my goodness. That. <laughs> That's how old yeah, school I, mean, I am. Man. That really dates me. Yeah, it is old school, man. No, but you know, it's true, but I don't know. It's all good. I think, I think it's, I, I'm pretty just, I just feel, you know, fortunate. I just feel like I got to do, I got to do so much more than I thought I would do. When I was 16, 17 years old, I, I, I wasn't a real hopeful kid and I, I didn't have a great childhood. And so I, there was a part of me that early on embraced cynicism and, and, uh, and just, you know, hopelessness and, and punk rock first and foremost, and then just getting to become a fan of it and become a, a musician in it and a performer, whatever, um, you know, it, it really did change the way I, I thought about things. It, it helped school me and helped me. It gave me a voice. Uh, back when I was a young kid, I was just fearful and I didn't have a voice and I was afraid to speak out and I was afraid to voice my opinion. And, you know, having these role models like Joe Strummer and, you know, um, whoever you know just, just help groom me i guess but in a way that i mm -hmm. i'm pretty i'm fine i'm I'm fine with i feel i feel like I, I i feel like i did um i came out okay you know relatively speaking so and this but, message yeah. just came in from my dear friend Corey. it just popped up on my screen please tell kevin his work is amazing and he is loved and appreciated uh, well, and that's from you, my Corey. friend Corey out <laughs> in washington state <laughs> that's really sweet that's, that. <laughs> that's that's awesome. I was gonna ask you because Nick and I we're from the D uh, originally from the we're from Southern Maryland, so we're right outside the D.C. area. And I know you spent a lot of okay. time over here. Um, what was yeah. that time like? I always when we get when we get guys like you on and guests, because being a person that got into punk scene in in the late '80s, early '90s, but not able to actually go to shows until I got a little older. Um, what was that community like, especially with the fact that Positive Force took off? I was blessed enough to play in a couple bands. I got to play a couple Positive Force shows in, in, in the D.C. area. Yeah. And that always meant so much to me. And the fact that there, there was a label and, and all of that. And just yeah. the, the fact that that took, oh, it was like a nationwide thing almost. And, and, and it's spearheaded by you and a few other people. How, 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 what was that time like? really scary and really frustrating and um, just uh, everything that you did, you hoped would stick because you weren't, yeah. all you could do is once you, once you found your, your, your peers, once you found the, the people, your tribe, whatever, mm -hmm. um, then it like you, you, all you wanted to do is just, for me, it was like, you know, I had friends that really just wanted, they, they were lonely kids and, they, you know, uh, going to see Rocky Road Picture Show was it every weekend. That was if you were if you were a little bit oh, of a freak or yes. a little outside, outside, outside <laughs> the box. That was kind of if you lived in a town like I lived in Reno, Nevada, and it wasn't a tiny town, but it wasn't a big town, and there wasn't much going on. And if you thought differently, if you didn't like cruising Maine on Friday nights and 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 going to cater parties and drinking, you know, till you were passed out, which many of my friends did. I just never, I never got into it. And I, yet I had no, I had no peers. I had nobody, everybody was 
trying to get me to to do that stuff. And I even tried because I didn't not want to have friends and I didn't want to not fit in. But I just knew I didn't. Even my musical, the music I liked compared to the music my friends liked. So, yeah, just when you didn't, got into it and you were part of something where you were accepted as just doing being you and you, you got to, you know, you felt this energy. I was like, well, I don't want to not do anything with it. I want to try and make it useful and make it productive and good. And, and for me, it was just important to try to put shows together in Reno because there, nobody else was doing that. Clubs weren't booking punk rock bands and I didn't know how to do it, but I was fortunate enough to be able, I was, I was ping pals with, you know, uh, Ian McKay and, and, um, nice. and Al from SSD control and, and Henry, Ron, you know, all these people all over the, you know, the, the guys from the big boys in Texas and, 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 you know, all of these bands that were all over the country and even all over the world, really. And everybody was just helpful. Jerry Shedhead from POA was one. He was amazing. He just, you could, I'd call him up and he, I was just a snot nosed kid. He didn't know me from that. But he'd take the time to, to, he'd take the phone call. And if I said, Hey, you know, if I, if I want to book my band in, in, you know, uh, Laramie, Wyoming, do you know anybody there? And he's like, yeah, of course I do. Here's the numbers. This 15 year old kid, he books, you know, uh, VFW halls, <laughs> you know? And <laughs> so it, it, like that kind of a networking thing was just unheard of for us. Like we, I had, I didn't even know anything about it. I didn't know how to, you know, I didn't know that it existed. And once we realized that it did, it just, it stuck. I mean, I was so blown away and so happy to, to be connected to it in any way possible. And we were always, you know, we were always, we got to, we were lucky because bands like DOA and Deb Kennedy's and Black Flag early on uh, came through, Reno, liked us as a band, liked us as people and invited us to come play with them in other cities. And so they, they kind of took us under their wing and they showed us how they were doing it, you know, in terms of booking. Yeah running their own record labels and stuff like that. So we just paid attention. We were just willing students and we just watched and, and, and mimicked. And uh, anytime we needed to ask a question, we asked and, and before long we were doing our own thing. The positive force thing was just that, uh, you know, there was a few, there were a handful of people that I uh, lived nearby and, you know, who were similar in terms of just, you know, we didn't believe that punk rock is just this negative, destructive thing. We, and we didn't exactly. have parents. We didn't, you know what I mean? Like we, we actually were like, well, no, let's, let's try and do something fun with it. Positive, but let's not, and but let's not, let's try and keep a bridge open for the people that we know that are kind of fucking shit up because who knows they can change, you know, and they did a lot of them did. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's where the positive thing force, uh, positive force thing started. Um, we had friends in Vegas who contacted me and wrote me a letter and said, Hey, we want to start a positive force chapter in Vegas. I think there was two others, and then I got I, I was contacted by Mark Anderson from DC, and he he asked about it, and I said, yeah, go for it, you know. Mark, you know, awesome. put positive force. He, you know, Mark made it. He made it the the thing that I had. I wish I would have, but I got so I was so. That's right when Seven Seconds really started to play a lot, and we were touring, and I was, you know, doing all of this crazy stuff. I just didn't have. I didn't put put the time and effort that somebody like Mark Anderson did, and. He's, he's mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's like, a, he reached out and, 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 and organized things. And he, he took it way beyond anything I could have ever hoped to do it. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it, it blows my mind what they've, what they've accomplished, you know, as an organization. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Organization. Yeah. And yeah, let's kind of go you know, back to the old scene because me and Odell, I came into it 
in 94, 95 is when I really started going to shows and playing in right. punk bands. And I was still of the yeah. age of tacking flyers up on telephone poles and word of mouth and just running sure. out halls and doing shows. So, like, give us some of your old school punk wisdom here to the kids out there. <laughs> what do you think, and I, I'm always intrigued by people who've been in the scene, especially people who've been in it longer than I have, people who've been in it from almost the inception. So what's a, what is one you consider to be a net negative of today's music scene over when you were starting out, and what's one net positive? What do you think is the positives and the negatives between today's uh, punk scene and the punk scene you started out in, or even just the indie music scene? Uh, you know, it, um Let's see. That's a good question. I, you know, honestly, anything I say is just going to make me uh, make me sound like the old fifty-eight year old guy that I am. So <laughs> I, 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 I feel I, I'm a little hesitant. But no, I mean, uh, here's the thing. I, you know, I don't really go to shows. I was just talking with a friend of mine earlier today about this, and 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 I, and, you know, I don't go to shows like I used to. I used to live for going to shows. I used to live for going out and buying records. That's all I did. I'd get my paycheck, mm-hmm. and I would just, you know, I'd go buy records and 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 go to a gig. Um, and I and I love that, and I love that people, young people are still doing that. But when I get invited to do it, it's like I just go, oh man, you know, like it, there's so many things that I think about now. It's like, all right, well, I'm not going to want to stand all night long, you know. How many bands are playing? <laughs> Five bands are playing. That's on. That's insane. Oh. You know, there's no more than two or three bands. You know, I, I start doing the old guy thing. Whereas when I was in my 20s. We'd play we'd play shows where there was like seven bands, you know. They would do a thirty minute set, and and and, and you still wanted more, you know. Um, oh my gosh, yeah, yeah, I remember those days. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at the old, you know, there was a place in Long Beach back in the day called Fender's Ballroom. It's legendary. Buddy played there, and we would we would when we were really starting to take off as a band, we'd go down and headline. And this is back when Golden Voice was primarily just a big, you know, punk rock hardcore production company or whatever now they're you know massive and whatever but they would book us and we'd headline and we we you know we'd have to wait to you know like see all the bands and every band you love every band i was i was more as just as excited to see them as i was for us to play at the end of the set you know and but nowadays you know it's like i i play in a i play in a local band here in town and they're like hey man you know you know, do you want a headline? I'm like, uh, hey, you know, if you want to put us on first, we're good. That's fine. <laughs> we'll play first. I'm all right with that because, you know, if I don't want to. But I don't know. I think, uh, I think it's at first when I started to get a good feel for what the internet was, I I, I got nervous and I I started. At first, I loved the idea because it just seemed so futuristic and so outer space like. And but then I started to feel like, uh oh, this is going to really change how. You know, we, we think about how we, we we think about going out. We think about socializing and and how we, you know, listen to music and how we, you know, purchase or steal music, whatever the hell. And um, but I I think overall it's been a good thing. Like I think it's been a great way to promote. It's been a great way to communicate. It's been a great way to stay in touch. I think if you just know how to use it as a tool and not let it use you, it's a good thing. I don't know. That's I smart. Mean, I think I think everything. Well, you know, I, I I love the idea of it when I, I started hearing about it because I, I just kept thinking maybe this will be an a, maybe there'll be an easier way to promote a show than going to Kinko's, putting up your flyers, and then hitting every spot, hitting every spot that has a parking lot where cars are parked that might belong to like fellow punk rockers or whatever that you could plaster on oh. your window, you know, some flyers, <laughs> you know. I mean, I love doing it, and I'm and I'm glad that I came up in an era that did that, but. If I had to do that now, I would just, I just, I would hate it. I would just be like, I'm still not doing this shit. I can't, you know, I mean, I was doing this when I was 20. 20. <laughs> but, 
but um, I don't know, man. I think I think you know I think young musicians and young punk rockers are more savvy now, which maybe that's not a good thing. I think the there was an innocence, this idealism that that we sort of came up with it. I remember sort of being frustrated knowing that I just felt stupid, you know, as a younger you know, member of the, of the universe. But I think it was, it, it, it also helped us kind of see things differently. Now there's so much, um, you know, it's just so many young people are sarcastic, snarky, and they're, they're way smarter than we were. They're way more savvy. So they, they just already know, you know, they know they already think at least that they know everything. And exactly, I, yeah. I guess maybe, maybe, maybe people my age when I, you know, maybe when I was like 19, I thought maybe I'm not, I don't think I thought I knew everything. I, I just don't think that. And, you know, but who knows? Anyway, I'm, 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 did I. I thought I was an idiot when I was 19, <laughs> but let me kind of give you my take. And I don't care if I sound like a grumpy yeah. old man. And it's really drove it home <laughs> to me the other day preparing for the show. I used to order, just obsessively order DVDs off Interpunk of band concerts and uh-huh. punk documentaries. I fucking ate up punk documentaries. Yeah. And I recently put in um, that, what was it, the Youth Brigade BYO documentary let them know and you're in that documentary and just watching Uh it drove home just what an authentic age it was like i feel like music will never be that pure and authentic again i mean odell i can you remember when dorsey we all partied all night and watched cross superstars like hr puff and stuff yeah but you wouldn't do that now you you could just go fucking youtube hr puff and stuff like it didn't mean it doesn't mean anything now because everything's so instantaneous and it's just the anticipation of going to these shows and the buildup of like, oh, I'm going to like go to a neighborhood and hand out flyers no one's ever been to, or I'm going to think of a new creative way to get people out to the shows. I feel like we've just lost that and just watching that. And I think that documentary, that BYO documentary is probably about 15 years old. And just watching that, it's like from a different era. And and it's talking about era 10 or 15 years preceding that. And it's just, it reminds me, and once again, I sound like a grumpy old man, but it reminds me of how much we've lost just be pounding the pavement and actually going out there and working for it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I and mean, think about how bands record now. You Now, you know, anybody can, can make a great sounding record. You know, it's not like when, when I was a kid, we, we couldn't even afford to go into any, the, the one recording studio that existed in Reno was so far i mean i think they wanted fifty dollars an hour and we we're like fifty dollars an hour are you kidding me like who's got that kind of money that's like that's our money you know but i mean we did so so we we had to go to our friend who had a four track a four track recording machine i think one of the tracks was blown so it was actually a three track recording studio. and and you know he, he he made his little daughter's bedroom into a mini studio and we recorded everything live and then we had to go back and do we had like i think we had two chances at overdubs you know and I mean, it sounds like shit, but but had we done something that was slick in the beginning, who knows what would have. What yeah, happened, exactly. You know? I love that authentic I mean, sound. That's absolutely true, yeah. I think. Yeah. Okay. So, so even that that kind of even the technology side of things is has is kind of maybe watered things down a little bit. As much as I love the convenience of it, I you know it's still I I don't know that it would have been this felt the same had we had access to you know that or the the knowledge of of stuff. Well, as millions of kids are now calling me lame, let's <laughs> shift gears here. I want to talk about some of your solo stuff real quick and play one of your songs, and then we'll get you out of here. 
Um, you've okay. got a new single out. I was just listening to it the other day. Bound to fail, bound to fall. I said in the intro, <laughs> and I meant this too. I always considered your lyrics political, even though you weren't really mentioning politics directly. I mean, your hate mentality kind of touches on it. But this new track yeah. really kind of mentions the president, <laughs> mentions politics in a way that I don't think of when I think of Seven Seconds. And I felt like Seven Seconds transcended politics uh-huh. and also kind of encompassed politics at the same time. And racism mm-hmm. sucks and not yeah. just girls, boys fun and stuff like that yeah, is making right, a yeah. A statement without hitting you with a sledgehammer about it. What was kind of the catalyst for you to come out and write a song that, like, some people would hear it and just lose their minds? You're talking about the new, the new, the song that I just put up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that song's from 2000. What 2000? Um, it's from a few years back, actually. I, I, oh, I, isn't? I, I thought I, it was a newer track because I just saw it go up. I, I just. I, I released it because I think it's from I, th- I want to say it's from shit 2014. It, 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 it it's a song that uh, so here's the thing like starting about, about 2015 I got on this big kick and I stupidly proclaimed on social media that I was going to it was the beginning of 2015 and I said in 2015 I want to try to write 400 songs and not only am I going to write them but I'm going to record them and I'm going to share them online. So, in one year or I, add it to your whole collection. In one year. In one Holy year, shit. my goal was to write 400 songs. I, I knew deep down. That Holy, I come off the roof. Yeah, it's stupid. But I said I did it. And, and, and <laughs> had I just said it to a couple, had I just said it to my to my wife or to my friends, that would have been dumb enough. But I published it on, on, on uh, Facebook. And so it put this pressure on me to do it. And so every day I was writing a song and every, or two songs. And, and then seven seconds would go on tour. And then I would write a song and I'd record it on my phone. And then I would put it up on my Facebook page. And there was this small following going, okay, you can do this, man. You can do so I, I ended up not doing it. I ended up writing uh, 270 songs and there was, it, there that's was still this, damn that, impressive. Not yes, bad, right? I mean, they're not all, a lot of them are shitty songs, but it's like, you know, it, it was just, I wanted to see if I could do it. And, and I still believe had seven seconds, not toured as much as we did that year. I, I could have gotten cl- at least close to four, closer to 400 than we did. But what I did was in, Coming up to the next year, 2016, I said, what am I going to do with these songs? I have all these songs. I don't have a record label. I don't have anybody putting this stuff up. So I just sat on them. And then I started a thing the following year called Song Forge, which I challenged myself to write 10 songs a month. I wanted to have 120 songs at the end of the – wait, no, 100 and – I wanted to do 10 songs a month. So I did that. And the following year, I did the same thing. So by now that, – that all ended in 2000 – last year – or no, 2018. So – now there's like uh, there's like some insane amount of songs that nobody's ever heard. That's not true. A few people have heard. I do a Patreon thing, and if you're a member of my, if you're a subscriber to my Patreon thing, every month you get three songs, and it's it's you know I, it's, it's songs that nobody else has heard. It's kind of like just a crazy exclusive small time deal. But that song was from a, a few years back, and I just I had found it. I forgot about it. I didn't even know how. I, I saw the title on on I'm like, did I write a song called "Bound to Fail, Bound to Fall"? So I listened to it, and I didn't remember it. I'm like, what the hell is this? And then I looked at the lyrics, and I was like, man, I could have I could have written those lyrics today. <laughs> you know, they were like lyrics that were written. <laughs> yes, and that's what I thought I reading the lyrics. It. Maybe Noam Chomsky yeah, was I, channeling you or something. No, what it ha- I wrote those lyrics. I know exactly when I wrote those lyrics. It was right after, uh, or just just as Obama, just before Obama was reelected, and I was 
torturing myself listening to talk radio, like political talk radio on both sides and mm-hmm. just driving myself nuts, like making myself angry and driving like a, a madman because I was so angry. And I was just <laughs> really paying attention of what was going on in the media and how they were covering the elections. And, and, and it just, that, that's kind of what came out. So that was you know, really dated, but I just said, wow, you could take pretty much anything on any one of these lines and you could go that, oh, he must have wrote that about Trump or wrote that about so So yeah, it was just, I thought it was funny and I didn't, you know, I didn't really even release it officially. I just said, I'm going to put it out here and share it with my social media followers or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I I was in the early days of seven seconds, our first couple of little records were very political to the point where like we had a song called racism sucks. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, Mm -hmm. like, we were just saying, no, it sucks. You know, it was very simple minded and very slow. But see, let me interject real quick because I don't consider that political as much as cultural. And that's what I mean. You guys kind of transcended politics where racism sucks. Wasn't a, what uh, now, now it'd probably be considered political, but in that era, right. it just seemed like, hey, this is the world we live in. Here's a state. Now, toilet paper is fucking political. Toothpaste, razors right. are political. Yeah, Everything's yeah, political. But back then, like, I didn't see you guys as a political band. I saw you as a social band, as a cultural band. I didn't see you as as yeah, like point. a band like Against All Authority or Dead Kennedys or someone like Like, I didn't see you like yeah. that. I saw you as a culturally relevant or socially conscious band. I didn't put you in the same terms I would yeah. put propaganda. Well, I appreciate that. And, but the, 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 here's the problem. We thought of ourselves as a political band at that point. And what I didn't, and I didn't really, what I re- didn't realize was that I didn't, I had no real interest in writing politically, political topics. I just, I wanted to write things from the heart that, it, so, I mean, a lot of the stuff I think is way political that nobody, even stuff that came out later on that I've had people say, think is a, you know, a, a kind of a love song, <laughs> a punk rock love song. I've been like, well, it's actually, um, maybe I was, I was more clever than I, I give myself credit for, but it's actually very cynical and I'm, and I'm being kind of an asshole in this song. It, I like the fact that people get whatever they get out of lyrics. I'm fine with that. Like in the beginning, I was just like, I wanted, I did want to hammer people in the head with, with my, my, my big important message. I mean, if you listen to the first seven inch, you know, we say, you know, kill, kill, Ronald Reagan, you know what I mean? Like we, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Like we were just, we were at the time it was like, you know, I was just, uh, you know, I had, I was just past the draft aid. They were talking about drafting, you know, the, we, the Russia was going to bomb us, you know, the face of the earth. There was all yep. these things that we actually believed were, was going to happen. And so, you know, I grew up in an era where a fear was just peddled nonstop in school. You know, they taught us how to duck and cover and how to, you know, and prepare for, you know, if we were ever attacked and, you grew up with that. And, and think about the movies in the 80s, you know, Red Dawn and all the Rambo stuff. Everything was just, oh, you know, yeah. it was a very, very intense. Rocky sort of four, you know, right wing. Yeah. The Russian. yeah. I mean, the whole, heck, the thing was, WWF wrestling was political. I mean, you know, you had, it's funny, I like talking to, yeah, talking to my son now who, you know, he's 10 and he's in the wrestling. And I used to tell him, he's like, so who did Hulk Hogan beat? I was like, oh man, this was in the '80s. He beat this guy named Iron <laughs> Sheik, and he was friends with Nikolai Volkov, right. and it was all like they were the bad guys. <laughs> yeah, remember IRS? Yeah, IRS was the bad guy. Erwin <laughs> yeah. Schwartz or whatever. They're like, we're gonna beat yeah. IRS. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was all, I mean, that stuff seems so innocent now, though, doesn't it? Like all of that stuff. Yeah, it does. So innocent now, you know. Like yeah, like, social now, media is a viper's pit. It perverts everything. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. 
Down the fail, down the fall, because I want to get you out of here and I want to play this song. Okay. And then we're going to come back and I got a couple fan questions for you. The war is coming We got to get ourselves prepared. No time for whips and pacifists. No room for being scared. The trainer has to do his songs and get good at our kills. A stone installed inside our brains to sharpen up our skills. We knew the outcome all by writing on the wall. We're bound to fail, we're bound to fall. I got an awful feeling about this free for all. We're bound to fail, we're bound to fall. The president is furious, he claims it's not a joke. He vows to crush the enemy, fix everything that's broke. It's with Kevin Seconds on our special 100th episode. I feel like I need one of those monster truck effects. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Um, Kevin, here's something else I want to ask you, because as you do solo stuff, acoustic stuff, we've had Greg from Angry Samoans, our buddy Al Piss, so many punk people kind of transition into just getting up on stage with an acoustic guitar, playing more folksy even more leaning yeah. towards old school country music. What do you think it is about old school punk that makes that transition so easy? Is it the harmonies? Is it the melodies? Because it seems like a smooth transition for a lot of old school punk artists. Well, you had to understand, I grew up, my, the, 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 uh, up until I, I was uh, 11, my, I had uh, two parents, a mom and a dad. My mom was a rock and roller and loved you know, soul, jazz. She listened to everything. My dad was an old school country western guy. And uh, he would play Johnny Cash. He would play Merle Haggard. And I absolutely hated it. And he actually could sit on an, an acoustic guitar and play it and sing beautifully. He was, he was really a pretty talented guy. But he was also a cop. And he was like a World War II veteran, hero guy, very kind of conservative. So I never gelled with him. And I hated his music. But I veered towards my mom's music. But as I got older, I started to listen to like Johnny Cash, and as yes. a lot of punk rockers did. And 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 in early age, I realized, holy shit! I mean, I don't know that there is anybody that is Bob Dylan. Maybe if there was anybody old school that was as punk rock, if not more than all of us combined, you know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. I always had an appreciation for it. And I also like I could never, I could never admit this, say 
20 years ago without feeling super self-conscious, but I loved, I grew up listening to like Cat Stevens and, you know, Simon and Garfunkel and Dylan and um, Woody Guthrie and Arlo, you know, like everybody, my mom listened to all that stuff. And even though I wanted to rebel against her, I couldn't because the lyrics were great. A lot of the times the songwriting was amazing. And like you mentioned, the harmonies, I had a huge thing for harmony. My mom could sing and she, she would sing around the house and we, my, my brother and sister and I would start to sing with her and we would really get into it. It was kind of a regular thing with us. And so plus our generation grew look. up on like Partridge family, Brady Bunch sure, had a band yeah. of monkeys. Yeah. So that, so monkeys, we grew up yeah. with those very hard, like yep. driven bands M- on melody, our TV. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I always had the love, I mean, even in the early days, even though we weren't good enough to pull it off, I always wanted melody in our songs. I always wanted to catch a chorus. I, I, I love, you know, you can do whatever you want with the verses, but please get back to the chorus where everyone can sing along with you because it's really catchy, you know? And that was yeah. that was always the thing when I first started to try to write songs was that I tried to do that. And at now doing what I do, and I've been doing this acoustic thing now for 25, I mean, I, I, I started doing it in 88 and uh, I play open for Ween of all bands. In, oh my God. In, oh, wow. Uh, it was the craziest thing ever. It was like 19, I'm sorry, 1989, and it was at City Gardens in, in uh, Trent, New Jersey. And uh, you know, the, the guy that owned that just said, "Hey, you're living out in New York right now. You want to come out?" And I had an acoustic guitar. I was, I was trying to play down in the subway system in New York, trying to be busk or whatever. That didn't work out too well. But yeah, it just it, it was something that for me it was also a necessity because, like I said, when when band members started to have uh, real life stuff, kids and that kind of stuff, I was still anxious to get out on the road and we just weren't traveling as much. And so I said, I got to figure out a way either start a new band, a side band, or then I, and I tried that and it didn't work out. So then I said, well, maybe I'll just go out with my guitar and, you know, people will at least the first one out of curiosity, they'll come out. And that's kind of what happened. The first U S tour I did on my own, I was playing in front of really full houses. And then once people realized I was being, I wasn't just singing punk rock songs. And I was actually writing songs that, weren't seven second songs that I was playing. I think people are like, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> this is, like, I'm not into this. This is, I, I'll wait for the band to come to the So, But, you know, I was also able to sort of build up my own little small, you know, following or whatever with the, with the quieter stuff. So I love doing, I like, I love doing both and I can play acoustic anywhere. And, and my wife also is an amazing singer. So she and I get to. Yes. I was checking out some of our stuff. Yes. Oh my goodness. Stuff. Yes. Yeah, she's got a couple of her own CDs that are just amazing, and she, you know, she's just a. We love singing together. We have a new thing together we call Hank and Lulu. It's just a kind of a country popish thing that I think I'm really excited about. We're getting ready to, to finish up this thing we've been working on now for almost two years. It's just yeah. Please forever. send it to me, I was, and I'll share it with. Our I was going to yeah. I was going to ask you about that if you guys bounced ever you know did things together or bounced uh, ideas off of each other. Because yeah, her stuff is yeah, really I mean, good. Yeah, no, she, she's amazing, and and she the thing is is she's not a songwriter, and she she beats herself up all the time. And I tell her, I'm like, look, some of the greatest singers and musicians, you know, that we know of in the world weren't songwriters. Not everybody's a songwriter. So she, mm-hmm. you know, she, I write all the songs, and and she she and I, you know, we've been together for 28 years, so it's like like we, it, you know, we're, we 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 think alike a lot of the times and I know where she comes from, gotcha. you know, in a lot of ways. And so I know that pretty much anything I write with the intention of having us sing together, 
she'll be she'll be into because she just and she's also she i mean i try to get her to sing more lead stuff because she's a great lead vocalist but she loves harmony mm-hmm. she's like she's like that's her thing so this new thing we're doing now i'm trying to um she she also plays some guitar she plays some keyboard so we're trying to be able to pull this off to where we could actually get in, into like our little car and 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 hit the road just together you know just maybe do you know a week here and there because we've done that here on the west coast a few times and it's been really nice and we played some folk festivals where we actually go over really well with people that are like, who don't even know anything about punk rock and who are just at a park on a Sunday afternoon for a little mini folk festival. We do really well with those kind of, cause there's harmonies and there's like, do you yeah, kind of you know. feel like you're a gateway drug to <laughs> punk rock? Cause people hear your acoustic stuff and go, I want to check out what this guy's about. And then they get turned on to seven I seconds and that leads to other stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. Sure. Yeah, it, it definitely happens, and I've had people, you know, say, yeah, I, you know, I, I never really li- listened to punk rock, but I, I went back and listened to some of your old stuff, and, and you know, some of it's pretty good, you know, like, I, I've had people say that a lot, you know, and I, I like it. I kind of like the fact that it, it's it's the only way that I ever get to pretend that I'm, like, the new kid on the block starting out again, you know, like, I don't have to, like, <laughs> if I start a punk rock band, if I start a new punk rock band, there's going to be at least a small, this underground faction that will know who about me and know who I am and there'll be this there'll be some there'll be something that they'll hold me to but if if they don't know who you are and they don't you know you go and play some you know some funky you know some bluegrass gig we've done that a few times it's 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 nice mm. it's like a clean slate and you have to kind of either if you suck you suck and nobody likes it but if if there's something good then they'll they'll embrace it and it's oh, oh man it. that is beautiful all right, let me ask you yeah, a couple fan yeah. questions and then we'll get you out of here. On the note of acoustic, <laughs> sure. our buddy Jay from Narcoleptic Youth, he's a big fan of yours. He wanted me to ask, how different is playing solo acoustic versus with a full band? Do you feel naked or do you feel free? Uh, you know, there's nothing nothing like playing with three or four other people on a stage in a packed club with the heat and the noise and the volume. There's nothing like that. Like, there's no... You can't really you can't replace that and you can't, uh, you can't duplicate that. If you're just standing up on a stage or in, in a corner somewhere with an acoustic guitar, the key is to really try to fill up the space, you know, somewhat. Uh, and I've only seen a, a couple of people, I think Chuck Reagan does it. And I think, you know, there's a few people that really can do that with just an acoustic guitar. I don't know that I do that. I think my thing is just, it's more of an intimate thing. And I have to, I, I had to learn how to appreciate making a connection in that way it's much quieter it's much more subdued like there's there's no sense of like chaos or like something's gonna really right go on like every night mm-hmm. i mean every night even even though we kind of seven seconds we kind of got our rhythm early on and we you know we we learned how to tour and we learned how to play you know at least our music we got really pretty like we knew what we were doing. Whereas when, when even nowadays, if I go play an acoustic gig, I really don't know what to expect. I can't count on a, a packed house. I can't count on, um, you know, like everything is kind of fun and exciting again. It's, it's much more subdued for sure, but it's, it's definitely, um, it's, it's way different. I can, I don't even know that I could describe it. <laughs> I like both. Equally, though, I have to say, and being an older, an older person now, it, it, doing the acoustic thing really does uh, work for me a little better than, you know, if I'm up there because, you know, just, I don't know, four years ago, I, we were in, in, in Montreal and seven seconds of playing and I jumped up first song and I came down and I, something popped and felt like it was oh, burning no. and I ended up, oh my God. I, I ended up 
I ended up splitting. I tore my calf muscle. <laughs> oh, like, yes. What am I? What am I doing? Jumping around like I'm 20 years old. So <laughs> I, yeah. I don't have to worry about that kind of stuff with an acoustic guitar. <laughs> Hi, right, quick comment from our friend on Facebook, Anna Torres from Dead Girls Booking. I've got to get together with her one day and have a beer with her. She's really cool. She just said, fuck uh-huh. yeah, tell him I love his music. And then I've got one uh-huh. more here. Our buddy Brian Beebe from Starbucket, of course, Odell, and his latest yes, band, yes. Dollars. He Good wanted friend, me to tell man. you, Soul Force Revolution is my favorite album. Busy Little People is a great wow. track. Um, where is it? The album was huge for me as a musician. And his question is what drove the subtle changes stylistically from album to album? What were your influences? Uh, at that time was, it was, it it was, we were going through a pretty crazy transitional period. Like we did an album called new end and that kind of started off uh, a, a trend more towards melodic. To be honest, I was trying to start a side, a side band with the same members, but we were just going to try to do a side band so we could play in Reno more and just have fun with our influences, which, <laughs> which at that point was everything from, you know, it was like, I mean, it was like the obvious melodic stuff like uh Huskadu and replacement. Yes. But also it was yes. like some of the commercial stuff like U2, REM, uh, the Smiths, the Cure. I mean, Stephen Troy loved, they loved crazy bubblegum they loved you know the fix and duran duran i never really oh my god the fix i haven't heard that name in years (laughs) wow (laughs) oh my goodness they loved loved all that new romantic stuff when it was on the radio and i i just couldn't handle it every once in a while you'd hear something i you know i'd hear something i'm like that's pretty cool you know but that's kind of how the not the song 99 with loons came along we heard when we heard that song on the radio and i was like who the what the fuck is this this (laughs) sounding thing yeah, I mean, we were just influenced by a lot of the stuff that, you know, we listened to on our own besides the punk rock stuff. And we were also, at that point, uh, we, we had gone out and toured and played a lot and we, we sort of made a name for us. But we were, there was a lot of violence at the shows back then. There was a lot of kids getting beaten up and stabbed and a lot of really hard, oh, like, wow. hardcore was starting to take on its own weird macho thing, which we just were always dead set against. There were less women going to the shows, which really we didn't like. And... Um, we just had a couple of instances where we played these huge shows in LA and, and we couldn't even get through a song without having to stop and break up a fight. And I just remember just being just, I was just devastated. I, I, I remember standing behind an amp just going, I just don't even want to do this anymore. This is like, this is hell. You know, this is, there's nothing yeah, good about yeah. this. We're not, you know, and, and so it, there was so much about like uh, what was going on in the hardcore scene and punk rock scene at the time that just influenced us to try to take a step back a little bit. And, uh, you know, it, it was, it was at that time it was a misstep because it, it actually made a lot of kids in the hardcore scene. They really rebelled against the, some of the new stuff we were doing. And that, that album, So Far Revolution, wasn't a record that like the, the, the purists, the hardcore purist kids loved, uh, at least at the time. But we also got sort of built up this new following with kids who liked that kind of stuff. That's the quieter, mm-hmm. the mellower stuff. And, I mean, that record was one of our best-selling records. That, that was the only record we ever had that, that charted on Billboard, <laughs> you know? So it was like, you know, somebody was listening to it, you know? It was just, uh, but it was an interesting time. Like, uh, even within our, our whole thing, it was just, we were going through a lot of changes. We were kind of growing up and feeling our... But New Wind was growing. a big departure, too. Did you get a lot of shit yeah, for that album yeah. when it came out from oh, the yeah. hardcore fans? Oh, absolutely. Matt, Max and Rock and Roll, the two zines that, that really loved Seven Seconds Up until that point, Max and Rock and Roll and Flipside, 
basically disowned us after that record came out. It was like, oh my god, no, we were no. Oh longer. my goodness. Oh yeah, it was. It was a. I remember having a conversation with Tim Yohannan, and we were staying at the old Max Rock and Roll House with them, and he just couldn't believe it. He he just saw it as such a. He he really believed it was just a. It was our attempt at a, a cash grab, and that we were just we, we were trying to sell out. And I just said, look, we're not even that smart. Look, like, like I kind of wish we had that mentality because i think we we, we wouldn't be going home living in like one two-bedroom apartment all of us like starving to death you know <laughs> like which is what we were doing so it, the whole thing was was really it really isolated and, and uh, us from some people but the funny thing is that over the years those songs all became like the last few years of our existence as a band the most requested songs were from all of those records there was like new end ourselves and so far revolution with the three records that were like the the U2 records, people call them. And we got we get more requests from that stuff to, at, at the end than we'd gotten. And we had promoters, you know, offer us big money to just come and do a show where we only do that material. You know, like we don't do the fast stuff and we just do those songs. But, I mean, it, it, it just changed completely, you know. So It's know, amazing how that works out. I've, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's amazing how that works out, Kevin, because I've, I've seen that with other bands. Like, they'll put CDs out and when they initially come out at the time or people are like oh my gosh i like think face to face is a great example of that yeah and then they come back years later and they're like man you know you really go back and listen and you learn and you learn to appreciate those songs and what they're about i don't know if it's the age it's or crazy. you're growing up or your your, your yep. maturity I, I don't know but it, it, it seems to work out that way yep all right yeah, let me wrap funny. up with and, and this i'm okay. sorry go ahead kevin no i was just gonna say and that's why you just you know, listen to people and listen to fans, but don't don't listen too closely. Like, you know, do do whatever the hell it is that you do, and maybe it'll be a mistake, maybe you'll regret it. But just do whatever you're you're you're, you're turned on by. Because if you listen to the fans or if you listen to, you know, the so-called the critics or whatever, uh, you're you're screwed. You you, you can't please everybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know. It's yeah. Exactly. Well, I mean, it's as simple as Shakespeare, right? To thy own self be true. And I don't think you could go wrong most go. of the time if you do that. All right, I want to ask you my there own you fan go. question, and then we'll get you out of here. Because I want to kind of talk about public perception. Because I've seen you guys, I've, I've seen articles and interviews and stuff where you guys have been defined as a straight-edge band. And I know you've, you've kind right. of pushed back on that. But I've also seen you defined as the first hardcore band. And I was just wondering how you feel about these kind of labels, if you pay attention to them. How do you feel when some – I know you're, you don't really – go in for when people call you a straight edge band, but how do you feel when people say, Hey, seven seconds was the first hardcore band? Uh, I don't, I, you know, I don't know that I've ever, I don't, I don't know that I've ever heard that. I, I think, um, there was a thing that, that, that got posted a, a few years back where somebody, a writer had acknowledged they'd done some research and they, they kind of figured out that we were one of the first bands after DOA, um, put out hardcore 81, the hardcore 81 album. We were we were just the biggest DOA fans, and they came through Reno a lot, and so we became friends with them. And I remember talking to Joy Shithead, and we were talking about punk rock, and he said, "Yeah, we're like we're hardcore punk rock." And I thought that's that's amazing. And for some reason, it, it it resonated with me because I thought this is a chance that like we had grown up listening to Sex Pistols and The Clash and The Ramones, and, and everything was very defined as punk rock. But all of a sudden, there's this new generation of people, young kids, bored suburban kids, a lot of the times who just, you know, we, we're all punk rock fans, but the speed of the songs are getting a little faster, and, and there was just a, a, an intensity that it, there was something a little different from the original, you know, the original wave, I guess. 
And I like the idea of having there be something that kind of differentiated, you know, stood out, stood, stood out a little bit from just, oh, this, they're a punk rock band. So when Joey Shithead said hardcore, I was like, that's it. We're a hardcore band. So I said that in a couple of zines <laughs> and that this is, you know, I've had people say, yeah, as far as I know, you were the first person that said it in print. Whether it's true or not, I don't even know. And you asked me if I care. I don't really care that much. It's like I used to, when I was younger, I used to constantly tell people, we're not a Swedish man. We, we, you know, I don't do drugs. I don't drink. I don't smoke. But that, that, that doesn't define us. And no matter what we said, it still defined us. You know what I mean? Like there was nothing we could ever do to change that perception. It was just like, you know, minus it. Uh, Minor Threat broke up. We were friends with Minor Threat. We played shows. We were the people were saying we were the West Coast version of Minor Threat, which I never agreed with. But you can't. There's nothing you can do. Like if people def- decide, you know, it's like when bands. I, I was thinking about this the other day. It's like when bands uh, do a reunion show and they they say it's all original lineup. The Misfits is a great example. It's like, well, it's not the original lineup, but if you if you say it enough, it becomes the original lineup. It, it, so fine. that is it true. Is that is, is so whatever, true, whatever. man. Mm. You know, it's just, it's however you want to spin it. And then eventually you spin it long enough and it, it just becomes the, the truth. So I don't care that much about it. It didn't, I don't think it hurt us much. I mean, I, the, 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 the worst out of all of it was that every interview I did, and which is one of the reasons I don't do interviews anymore, to be honest with you. Like I like podcasts and I like the idea of it. So I'll say yes to the ones that I, I'll try to do a little research and I'm like, yeah, that sounds like fun. But I just got so tired of, 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 of being asked to be a spokesperson for this straight edge movement that I just didn't have that much love for, you know, like I saw right, a lot of right. stupidity involved, a lot of militancy. I saw a lot of like people breaking, like pulling people apart and a lot of disunity. I just didn't like it. And, and so I've been pretty vocal about it to the point where I, you know, I've had threats from militant straight edge groups over the years because I, <laughs> oh, I turned man. my back on the scene. Oh my and I'm goodness. Like, I never yeah, so none of that stuff means shit to me. It's just like, it is what it is. I, I think when you're young, it, that's when it means something, and that's fine. I get it. But, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to be 35 years old and have people, you know, I'm not waving the flag for, for anything, really. I'm just like, you know, let's just have fun. Let's get along. Let's let's leave each other well, alone. Well, at our age, we're and, beyond all that, right? We're past making all these statements and proving shit at our age. Well, I mean, like, if, if, if it's important to, to make a statement, I still like to make statements because it makes me feel better or it makes me feel less shitty or I, I whatever. I'm oh yeah, I talk that. about things but, I'm passionate about, but as far as saying this is right. my platform, get on board. I think once you reach yeah. a certain age, you're like, hey man, here's what I'm about. You can like it or you can lump it, but I'm not going right. to sit there and chase people down and try to like mm-hmm. ram my opinions yeah. down their throat because it never mm-hmm. works. That's right. No, it it never does, and 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 you end up just being the asshole that everybody goes, oh, it's that guy again. Like nobody wants that, that person. Yeah, I know? learned that the hard way. <laughs> trust me. <laughs> All right, um, like tell tell everybody what you have coming up, and also post seven seconds life. Is this a totally different ball game? Knowing like the security blanket's gone, seven seconds. Yeah. As far as today doesn't exist anymore. Do you feel different yeah. waking up and knowing that? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, you know, I was in that band well over half my life and, you know, I was a kid when I started it and everything's different, you know, every, even the way that you're, even the way that I, I mean, people are, have always been respectful and kind, so I can't complain, but even the way people treat you at like, if I go to go see the descendants at a club in town or I go see Penny or some bands playing in town, I'll go and say hi, you know, it used to be worth like a big deal. And now it's, people are still cool. They're still very kind and they'll walk up and, 
tell me nice things and stuff, but everything is a little different. And I like it. I, I like, I was never, I was never big on, you know, for me, I just felt like we did the right thing by just trying to define ourselves by our music and our, a little bit of our message. And, 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 and I think we did that. And, and, you know, whether, you know, people say, you know, you, come on, you know, that you're a huge influence on this. I'm like, I really, I never paid attention to that stuff. I mean, if it's true, that's great. I think probably it is true, but I don't, I don't really want to put that much of my time and effort into thinking about this stuff because that's where you start to go wrong. I think, you know, that's where you start to take yourself too seriously. Uh, My whole thing from day one was trying to maintain my sense of humor at a time when we were supposed to be deadly serious and very idealistic. And and I was, I still am to a certain extent, but I always wanted to keep uh, my sense of humor. And I want to, I want to be able to laugh at myself because I do stupid shit and I, I say dumb shit and, and, I, I, it's some of it's documented, so I can't run away from it. You know what I mean? Like, and I still do that. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's just it's it's much different, but it's also freed up the. I don't, you know, if if I ever had a sense that I had to live up to anything, that stuff is just gone. Like I, I now I can just do whatever. I can look the way I, I can let my my hair just down to my, you know, down my back now. And back when I did that, when seven seconds every night, it was an issue. And every night it was a letter. Somebody would write me a letter a week later and be like, what's wrong? You know, you're, you're a hippie now. What's, you know, what's <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh Lord. Have mercy. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah, so now nobody gives a shit. Now nobody gives a shit and I don't give a shit. And that's, but I that's was one of those thing. guys, but, right? When I heard like, nobody's perfect. We got flaws. I'm probably a bigger fuck up than you'll ever be. I was like, yeah, Kevin seconds is a fuck up like me. Yeah. You know, I mean, that meant something to me as a fan, and it gave me something to shoot for. Like, dude, if Kevin Seconds is out there doing all this cool shit, and he's declaring himself a bigger fuck-up than I am, then the door's yes. open for me to go out and, like, grab my little bit of life. And, I mean, that is that is one of the many things turning in my head that drove me to yeah. do the things that I do. And I just want to thank you for that while I've got you here today. Yeah, sure. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, and and honestly, that if nothing else, it gives you a little, it gives you a, 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 a pass because if you if you declare that early on, then no one can say what a hypocrite. He he, you know, he was supposed to be perfect. It's like no, it was never about that. It was just about you know having a good time. And if we can do something that makes life in a, in a, you know in, in the world, even if it's a small pocket, which really in the grander scheme of things, our reach is very small. Most people in the world never have heard of seven seconds or me or anything and that never meant it didn't mean anything it, i mean that doesn't matter because we we got to do so many cool things and we got to connect with a community that i just had hoped to exist and now we watch it and we go wow you know we were we were we, we, we had a small hand in getting to help nurture that and that's it you know that that's when i go okay you know we did i i feel pretty good and i'm glad that that all, I'm glad that it's happened the way it has. Would I change a lot of shit? Of course I would. But then again, it goes back to then I'm just that old guy that's bitching about how things used to be and you know how much better they were. Yeah, you, you don't want to butterfly. Yeah. Your bullshit. You don't want to butterfly yeah. affect yourself into working at a Waffle House the past 40 years. So you might not want to change anything. <laughs> no, I mean you know who knows though. You know, like I, you know, it's funny. I started working at a job early in the year that was just just a working club, blue collar work. I mean, it was like, I was doing shit, you know, that I was doing when I was in my twenties. And at first I was like, I don't even want to tell any of my friends I'm doing this because they're going to feel bad for me. They're going to be like, what happened, man? You know, but the thing was, is I, I, I loved it because I was, I was working every day. I was working with just real hardworking people that just, they are, they are America. I don't mean to go on and tell like that, but they define like it's, it's a, a people of every race, color, whatever. 
and everybody's at the same level. You're just trying to make a living and you're just trying to get through this. And I, and, and I, and I, I said, when I was doing it, I told my wife, I'm like, I can think of 10 people right now that are singers, guitar players, whatever, who would benefit by almost being forced to do this. Like, like for a week, every, you know, you know, a week in a year, you, you just, you end up, you, you, it reminds you of a probably where you started, or at least, you know, some of the things that you did, but it just, it gives, it, you get an appreciation for it and you can almost see the art in it, which is always what I'm looking yeah. at. I'm always looking for the art in everything, you know? And so yep. it, 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 my writing, I started writing again and I started to visually like, you know, just conversations I'd have at work with people that I wouldn't have with people in my little bubble, in my little punk rock, hardcore music wow. bubble, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and that was, that's huge. That's like a thing that if I want that for the rest of my life, I want that experience to just pop up every once in a while, maybe not nonstop and always, but just, if I have that, I, it, it just, it keeps you grounded and real and you appreciate everything or at least you know a i lot think more. that's pretty profound like every that's time awesome. you come off tour work two weeks doing a blue collar job so you remember your roots remember where you came from which i'm a big proponent of by the way yeah me too and and by the way real quick with the last thing we did that for years at least one or two of us had real jobs that we came back to and i say that was one of the reasons that we stayed together as long as we did too because when we did go out and do stuff together it was like really meaningful and it was like I'm so glad I'm losing that fucking job for like two months, you know, whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we, you know, we, we, do I wish we would have made more money and we were living like, you know, high on the hog? Yeah, sometimes I do, but it, it, you know, I'm a pretty happy person. And, and I just, uh, despite my grump, my sometimes grumpy social media <laughs> demeanor, I get accused <laughs> of being grumpy all the time. But yeah. Well, it's, Kevin. It's good, man. That is Thank a great you, place man. to end. Um, you are exactly who I hoped you would be, which is always great. Yeah. Thank you so much for calling into our 100th episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, congratulations. That's awesome, man. 100 episodes. Amazing. Congratulations. Well, well like me and Dee were talking about earlier today, we're just that stubborn. It's not because of any great success Good. story. We're just that fucking <laughs> stubborn. But tell everybody where we can find you online and what you got coming up before you go out the door. Uh, you know, I'm on. Facebook and Instagram. I, 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 Facebook is, uh, I, I, am I, I think I'm official Kevin Seconds because someone stole my control uh, Kevin Seconds. Um, Instagram, I'm on as Kevin Seconds. I don't know. Um, I'm doing, I do, a, I have a Patreon thing that I do that it is kind of interesting. I, I, I offer some real fun rewards that nobody else in the world but my subscribers get. And it's everything from music to my uh, to writing, to uh, artwork, to uh, now I'm delving into doing short film, little movie, mini movie, short film things. So it's kind of fun, and it's just a way to keep myself sort of creatively busy and 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 try some new shit. So, but yeah, that's that's about it. I got um, a couple of records. I'm I'm working on a new punk rock band called Give Me an F, which uh, we will play our first show at the end of this month. And uh, in fact, I got as soon as I'm done with you guys, I got to run over and do a, have a rehearsal with these you guys I'm playing with and. Uh, Alice and I are doing uh, Hank and Lulu, which is going to be our, this little folky thing that we're doing, and that'll be coming out, I don't know, springtime, I think. Well, good. You Hey, you gave awesome. me enough of a conversational fix where I can go six weeks without podcasting. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Kevin. You're right. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Hi, right, Kevin. Take care. Thank you. All right, All we right. are out of here. Um, I might yes. do a couple little interviews while I'm in New York, but there'll be live things. Probably I'll do something backstage with Katie during the play. But outside of that, we will be back in March, right, Odell? Sounds good, man. 
Are you going to make it, Odell, six weeks without hearing my beautiful, like, voice that flows like molasses <laughs> off the trees of Canada? Oh, gosh. I'll try to, I'll try to figure something out. <laughs> I, hey, 100 episodes, sincerely, I want to thank all the fans. I always say yes. that the show's only as good as the guests and only as popular as the fans allow us to be. Yes. I'm just a fucking asshole with a mic. You know, to get also wanna, true magic. So thank I want to thank this. Fans. Yeah, and I definitely want to thank the uh, the spouses, if you will. Um, you know, I know D does what D does, and and and, and editing, and, and doing everything behind the scenes. And and Susan, when I come home and I gotta literally drop my bag and run upstairs and and then sit down for another hour and a half to you know to do a podcast. You know, while she's been with the kids all day, so it wouldn't happen if it wasn't for for the ladies. Absolutely. Shout out to them. All right. We're going to end with some Your Parents Hardcore, which is, I would say, in my top favorite seven seconds. Yeah. We'll be back in March, guys. All right. Peace. (laughs) 